the Appellate Project and its mission to bring greater diversity in our appellate courts. Founder and civil rights attorney Javaria Khan joins us. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking about appellate courts and diversity therein. And to do that, we have a fantastic guest joining us. But before we get into that, we need to thank our sponsors. I'd like to thank NBI, the National Business Institute. Attorneys have trusted NBI with their CLE needs for over 35 years. Visit nbi-sems.com today to find out why and use the promo code LegalTalkNBI to get $100 off your next CLE course. All right. Hello, Javaria. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. No, thank you for joining us. It's a great topic today. I was uh, reading a Tony Morrow article from law.com and I wanted to connect with you. But uh, leading into my first question about appellate practice, you know, you started off as a litigator working in civil rights and, you know, I've got a really great resume behind you. You went to Columbia University School of Law. You've practiced in big law, you know, Baker and Hostetler. You did your stint as a judicial law clerk for the District of Connecticut. And of course, returned back to private practice and became the senior staff attorney for Muslim advocates. You've got this this great assembly of uh, jobs and your your uh, your career is just advancing north. And then all of a sudden you decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start a brand new organization to uh, improve appellate practice. You started the Appellate Project. And so, uh, Javari, my, my opening question to you is, you know, tell us a little bit about the history of that decision and why you decided to leave the practice of law. Yes, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm a litigator by background, and the last few years have been uh, primarily practicing in the civil rights space. And it was doing that work and seeing so many cases go up on appeal through our appellate system um, that I was very struck by the lack of diversity, especially racial diversity in the appellate field amongst both attorneys and judges. When you take a step back and think about what we're talking about with the appellate system, you know, appellate courts, their job is to decide matters of law. So they go through this deliberative process as appellate judges, where they decide what a law means and how it applies to all of us. And these decisions have an enormous impact on our everyday lives, right? They impact how we vote, how we police, how we access healthcare, our ability to immigrate. Uh, And often these decisions have a disproportionate impact on communities of color. So when you think about the people in that space and the fact that people uh, of color are so greatly underrepresented, you're, you're lacking, there's a huge void in sort of achieving justice and equal representation. And I think that has a number of really serious consequences and is why I um, decided to start the appellate project. All right. And so, uh, Javaria, who is the Appellate Project primarily intended for? So our programming is designed to empower law students of color with the opportunities and access they need for appellate practice. So we we are directing our resources to those students, but really the purpose of, of our programming is for the appellate bar at large, but our legal system in general. Because when we're talking about who's in these spaces, it really matters. Um, If you don't have diversity in perspectives and in backgrounds and in lived experiences, when you're deciding what a law means for all of us, you're really losing out on a very important perspective that you you need. And 
as a result, people of color can lose faith in the system when they don't see themselves represented. Um, it can lead to feeling like it's a space where you don't belong. Um, there's a really important element to this, which is also the prestige that comes with doing appellate practice, right? It's um, considered one of the most elite areas of legal practice, and it opens a lot of professional opportunities in the law, including becoming a judge or beyond in other positions of power. And we're, we're really talking about having a sophisticated understanding of how our highest courts work and how our laws are shaped. All of that is critical to have um, diverse people involved and perspectives involved. And so the Appellate Project's mission is sort of far beyond and covers all of that. Well, before we get into some of the programs that you all offer at the Appellate Project, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about the board of directors and the board of advisors. I was on your website. You have an impressive list of people there to help kind of steer that uh, mission that you all have set out to accomplish. And so can you tell me about some of the people that you invited to be part of the boards? Yes, absolutely. I am very fortunate that we have such an amazing founding board. We started out small, so there's five of us for now, including myself. Everyone's coming from a different background with a different sort of perspective on these issues and lived experiences. Heather Kendall Miller, who just retired from the Native American Rights Fund and is one of the only Native women to have argued at the Supreme Court. Tiffany Wright, who's in the Supreme Court and Appellate Practice Group at ORIC, and in her own words has shared that she is the first person that she knows from Southeast DC who's actually clerked on our highest court, the Supreme Court. Folks like Amir Ali and Sarah Harrington, um, we're just really fortunate to have such a great group helping make this possible. All right, Javari, I want to I want to break into those programs that you offer through the Appellate Project, and so they're centered around getting law students that early exposure to appellate work. And you've got networking as part of that platform. You've got an appellate clinic, this this incubator of sorts as part of that. But uh, let's talk about those programs and how they all work together to build exposure for people as they start their careers. Absolutely, and if I may, I think it might help to understand the context in which this is all operating to kind of make sense of why we're approaching it the way we are. So, you know, when we think about the appellate space, the majority of hiring tends to be done from a handful of top law schools and really uh, primarily students at Harvard and Yale who are often at the top of their class and often have connections with the right professors or people in the space who can connect them with the opportunities that they need that sort of narrow hiring system and the proxies that are being used excludes a lot of other highly qualified students of color. And so when you think about uh, the journey for a lot of students of color into this space, right, to get into law school in the first instance is a huge privilege. It's a very expensive endeavor. It's hard to get in. If you do get in, you may not know what appellate work even is. That's true for a lot of students of color, especially those who are first generation, coming from communities where they may not know lawyers. And so they miss out on opportunities simply because they don't know, nobody tells them about it. So our programming is really designed to cater to those students and make sure that they feel seen and their needs are met. And so we have three programs. One is a clinic that we are partnering with Howard Law School on. They've had a civil rights clinic for years. Um, We are basically adding an appellate focus to it. So this will be taught 
by one of our board members, Tiffany Wright, along with Ed Williams. And the goal is to have students have the opportunity to work on substantive civil rights appellate litigation, while we also provide them with the sort of holistic set of resources that would help them in this space, including one-on-one -on -one mentorship, networking opportunities with folks in the appellate bar, and clerkship guidance. Our second program is an educational outreach program, which is really designed at filling that information gap I mentioned by explaining the importance of appellate practice, the different types of practice, and directing students to specific opportunities where they can build those skills while they're a student. And then our third program, which you mentioned, is our incubator. So that's the summer fellowship program, which is really designed to connect minority law students with the opportunities and access of their more privileged peers. So the idea is to provide these students over an immersive summer experience training opportunities in appellate practice, including interning at an appellate organization, networking opportunities, mentorship opportunities, and clerkship guidance so that students go through the program feeling like if appellate work is still something they want to do, they have a supportive network around them that will hopefully last long after the summer ends. They'll have an understanding of the space and how to navigate it. And by looping in the appellate bar into that programming, our hope is that they will get to see how amazing these students are and hopefully consider some of them when they're making their own hiring decisions as well, even if they may, these students may have come outside of the sort of narrow proxies that I mentioned earlier. All right, Javaria, uh, for my next couple of questions, I got a little bit of wind up to this. And so kind of hearkening back to that article with Tony Mara, it was titled Appellate Project Aims to Boost Diversity in Specialized Bar. He had you quoted, and you were talking about your law school experience. And, and you said this, you said, it was a huge cultural shift for me. Many of my classmates had family members or friends who were lawyers or judges, and they, they just seemed to know how to navigate these spaces. It often just felt like everyone was speaking a different language. I got good grades, but I never even considered applying for clerkships. And so, uh, Javari, when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, that was my law school experience. I felt like I felt like I was just out of my depth all the time. But I, I don't think it was the kind of cultural shift that you were talking about for me. I just was, you know, out of my league in terms of I didn't have a lot of background in it. I didn't know a lot of people in the profession. And honestly, sometimes just the terminology would trip me up. I'm like, what are they talking about? I had no frame of reference. But uh, I wanted to bring that up just to kind of transition into our, our last two questions, which I, I think are the most important of the interview. And so I want to talk about systemic racism. And so, you know, you hear this term on the news quite a bit these days, and I think it means something just a little different to different people. And so the first part of the question I want to ask you, uh, Javaria, is, you know, what does the term systemic racism mean to you? And then the second part of that is, do you think the legal profession and its institutions still have a little bit of systemic racism in them? So we are having a very important national conversation about systemic racism and its continuing impact on institutions, including our legal institutions and highest courts. Um, and I think it's critical that we, we do that here if we want to improve our situation. Systemic racism means that there are institutional policies and structures in place that have make it more difficult for communities of color, especially those most impacted by systemic racism to have certain opportunities. When we look at the legal setting, right, just getting into law school and having the opportunities you need 
to have that advanced professional degree, have the time and money to commit to it is a huge privilege that is difficult for a lot of people to access. If you actually get into this space, you may not know how to navigate it. It may be difficult because you are first generation or you are coming from a community where you don't know lawyers. And oftentimes it's hard to find mentors or people who will help you and guide you. That continues to play out through the entire law school experience, the hiring experience, and of course, retaining people of color. I think when a lot of the discussion around these issues centers on who's getting hired, but what I'm interested in is also who's being retained, who's being promoted, who's getting the opportunities. All right, Javari, I've got just one last question for you. And so, you know, based on the work that you've done for the Appellate Project and, and of course, starting that organization, what recommendations to institutions would you make to improve diversity, inclusion, and appellate work? And, and I'm asking that question on behalf of law schools and law firms. Yes, I love that question. Thank you for asking. So I think if you are a law school, you obviously want your students to succeed and do well. Be very deliberate about reaching out to students of color, especially the ones who um, you know, don't get as many resources directed their way. Uh, mentor them, guide them, make them aware of the opportunities that are available to them and encourage them to seek those opportunities. Talk to them about clerkships very early on so that they're thinking about them and that they understand the currency that those carry in this space. Um, If you're a law school professor and you have the ability to write recommendation letters and connect students with judges, please do so and, and be mindful about which students you are reaching out to and if it's an inclusive list. If you're in the appellate field as a, as a law firm or a judge, really expand how you think about hiring and who's qualified to be in the space. The proxies that we use to find the person with the best legal research and writing skills, the best oral advocacy skills, who can dig into these issues, really care about them and be passionate about them. We can find those students and all of those students if we just search a little more holistically and inclusively. Um, And once you hire a person of color, please invest in them, you know, take the time to mentor them, make sure that they are having substantive opportunities for growth, share arguments and sort of the high profile cases with them so that they're meaningfully involved, not just when they start, but throughout the course of their career. I think if we think about these issues more equitably across the board, we'll start seeing some real changes. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Javaria. And if there's a listener out there who, let's say, has an interest in appellate work, how should they reach out? Yes, you can find us online at theappellateproject.org. Please reach out to us through the website. We would love to hear from you. If you are an attorney and you're interested in getting involved, we'd love to hear from you also. So check out the website. Um, And as my last closing, if you don't mind, Lawrence, if I could just say, if you're a law student listening to this, if you take one thing away, it's go for it. Just apply for every opportunity. Uh, you belong in the space. We are so excited to have you. So just go for it. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate us in your favorite podcasting app. Also, I've got to give a shout out to Tony Marrow because I mentioned him twice during this interview uh, for his article in Law.com titled Appellate Project Aims to Boost Diversity in Specialized Bar. Uh, it was great. Inspired this episode. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you.